All right. Good to see everybody here tonight and just the few, the frat proud, the Wednesday night crowd. How about that? Uh, we got several folks out tonight, and uh, so be praying for that. And uh, good to have Miss Carmen back from traveling and safety there. Uh, let's take our songbooks tonight. Turn to number 448. There's a sweet and blessed story of the Christ who came from glory just to rescue me from sin and misery. And uh, you can remain seated. We'll sing all three verses tonight. Number 448. <coughs> There's a sweet and blessed story of the Christ who came from glory just to rescue me from sin and misery. He in loving kindness sought me and from sin sought me. Hallelujah, Jesus ransomed me. Hallelujah, what a Savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay and set him free. I will ever tell the story, shouting, Glory, 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 hallelujah, Jesus ransomed me. From the depth of sin and sadness to the heights of joy and gladness, Jesus lifted me in mercy full and free. With his precious blood he sought me when I knew him not, he bought me. And in love divine he ransomed me. Hallelujah, what a Savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay and set him free. I will ever tell the story, shouting glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah, Jesus ransomed me. By and by, with joy increasing, and with gratitude unceasing, lifted up to be with Christ eternally. I will join the host there singing, in the anthem ever ringing, to the King of love who ransomed me. Hallelujah, what a Savior! <clears throat> Lift him from the miry clay and set him free. I will ever tell the story, shouting, Glory, 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 hallelujah, Jesus ransomed me. And that ought to be something we are so excited about and never get over the day that we got saved. What a joy it is to know that we're on our way to heaven tonight. And uh, I don't know about you all, but I'm excited that the Lord loved me when I was not lovable. I hope that you're excited about that too. I don't know if we should ever get over that. I mean that. It ought to be something we always are overjoyed with and that people can see the fact that we're uh, thrilled that the Lord Jesus Christ would offer such a great thing to us. I think sometimes when we give the gospel out, we, uh, we come in such a, a, a down spirit, it seems like, and truly our hearts ought to be burdened for the lost. But they ought to see the joy of the good news of the gospel. And certainly they need to know that they're sinners. They need to be convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sin. But the good news is that Christ loved them in spite of it. And uh, I'm excited about that tonight. I hope that you're excited that you're saved tonight. And um, we're looking forward to a great time together. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing on the service tonight. Father, we come to you. We pray that you bless the time that we spend here together. And Lord, we are very needy people tonight. And, Lord, we've worked and labored and prayed. We've studied, and 
Now, Lord, the time has come that uh, we are going to bring the message from your word tonight. I pray that you would bless it and use it, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. And, Lord, to take away the distractions, things that would cause our minds to drift. And, Lord, may your Holy Spirit move with power and might in our hearts and our lives, that there would be conviction where it's needed. I pray that you would allow us to be in such a uh, condition that we would be sensitive to that. We would be yielded to his leading in our hearts and our lives. That we would already go ahead and make our commitment to you and to uh, the truth of your word. That if you would show it to us, we'll walk in it. Guide our steps tonight. I pray that you'd help us to uh, be gracious in the lesson that we have together this evening. And yet, Lord, to be able to do justice to your word. I pray that you would guide and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's turn in our songbooks again. Number 450, Isn't the Love of Jesus Something Wonderful? <coughs> Number 450, again, you can remain seated. We'll sing all three verses. There will never be a sweeter story, story of the Savior's love divine, love that brought Him from the realms of glory. Just to save a sinful soul like mine Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful Wonderful in His wonderful Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful Wonderful it is to me Boundless as the universe around me Reaching to the farthest soul away Saving, keeping love it was that found me. That is why my heart can truly say, Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, it is wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Love beyond our human comprehending. Love of God in Christ, how can it be? This will be my theme and never-ending. Great redeeming love of Calvary. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, it is wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Amen. Let's take a a few uh, praises tonight. Maybe something God's uh, blessed you with this week or done good for you or something that's been special to your heart this week. Maybe a verse of Scripture uh, that has been special to you. And uh, as we speak about how wonderful God is tonight, I think we ought to, uh, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. And we ought to be telling folks about that. So anybody got something good to say about God tonight? Something He's done good in your life? Yes, ma'am. Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. God sure is good. Amen. All right, anybody else? Yes, sir. 
Amen. 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 Right. Amen. Sure. Amen. Amen. Sometimes it's those little things that are the most special, aren't they? We kind of, because we have in our minds how big God is, we kind of expect Him to do the big things. But when He does those little things, it helps us to be reminded how much He cares for us individually and what a joy it is to have answers to prayer like that. Absolutely. All right. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am? Amen. 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 I saw a uh, post from one of my best friends he and I grew up together across the street from each other as kids. And I remember uh, getting him to come to Sunday school with me one day. And he went one to one class and I went to another class because there was an age difference there. And uh, I can still remember the day he came walking in after church. He was in junior church and he came walking into church. He was all excited. He said, I got saved today. And he put a post on today. He said, today, 35 years ago. And... Uh, I love him very much because he's a dear friend of mine, but I get to spend all of eternity with him. And I understand that when we get to heaven, our focus isn't going to be on our friends and our family as much as it's going to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm thankful that I get to take a friend with me. And, uh, boy, I tell you, I never, I never get over what God does in saving someone. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, having little faith sometimes. But, you know, the faith that we put in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation is the greatest faith we could ever have. And it's a miracle that God does. It's an absolute miracle. I, for some reason, I think we get it in our minds that it was a small thing for God to save us. But that's the greatest miracle God ever did. And, uh, well, I hope we don't ever get over being saved. I really do. I, I hope we remember it. I hope we are excited about it. And uh, it ought to thrill our hearts. It really should. And if it doesn't, we ought, to, we ought to spend some time with the Lord about it until it does thrill our hearts again and uh, get back with Him and get close to Him again. All right, somebody else? Anybody else? If not, we'll sing and go on. That's it? All right. Okay. Uh, I'll just mention this. I got to go up and see Brother Everett this afternoon uh, just before church and looking much better. And, boy, that's an answer to prayer. We thank the Lord for that. He had a, a kind of a rough day with uh, therapy. He said, I asked him if he was ready to run a marathon. He said, no, that would be next week. So, uh, But he's doing much better. And uh, he smiled several times and still got a little ways to go yet. But uh, from where he was a few weeks ago, what, a, what an answer to prayer. And we thank the Lord for that. Well, uh, let's take our songbooks, uh, number 455, In My Heart There Rings a Melody. 
There rings a melody of love. All three verses, number 455. I have a song that Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody. Tis the melody of love. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody of love. I love the Christ who died on Calvary. For he washed my sins away. He put within my heart a melody, and I know it's there to stay. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of love. Twill be my endless theme in glory. With the angels I will sing. Twill be a song with glorious harmony. When the chords of heaven ring. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody of love. Man, I can't wait to get to heaven either. I was talking to Brother Everett about that today. And uh, I said, you know what, Brother Everett, it would be great if the rapture just happened. And he and I got talking about that and how it looks like it just is so close. And uh, not having to say goodbye to anybody on this side of heaven again. And uh, we got talking about that. And I, I'll tell you what, I love to think about heaven and the time that we get to be up there. And, you know, it talks about uh, the songs that we'll sing in heaven and the praises that we'll give to God and I just hope that uh, in our glorified bodies, we get these really incredible voices, and we just get to sing. Brother Harold will probably sing a special up there in heaven with his glorified body. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm just, can you imagine how sweet music is here on earth, what it's going to be like when we get to heaven? The praises that we have here and how it just, it, our hearts can't hardly take it. And uh, can you imagine what praise is going to be like in heaven? Oh, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. And um, anyway, all right. Well, let's take some prayer requests tonight. And again, pray for Brother Everett, if you will. Uh, still got a little ways to go. They're talking about maybe as late as the 17th of July before he can come home. And so uh, still got a little ways to go. Uh, they say he's in acute therapy, but there wasn't anything cute about it up there. <laughs> but uh, he is in some therapy, and, and they're working with him long hours each day. So uh, pray that God will give him strength. Also pray for Brother Bob Schwabert, and I don't have a new update on him, uh, but uh, continue to pray for him under hospice care. Uh, also Miss June Bolin, um, who uh, has been doing better with the treatments that she has, but continue to pray for her, uh, that God will bless there that she can get the chemotherapy treatments that she needs and also that her platelet count will stay up. And then my sister is also still battling some, uh, some medical things and they're going to be going through some more uh, doctor's meetings here. I think it's next week, my mom was telling me, and uh, hoping to get some resolution whether they're going to do a surgery or not on her. And so pray for that, if you will, that God will guide and direct there. And um, 
Brother uh, or Miss Linda how and Brother Richard, how's y'all's brother doing? Do we have an update there? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So. Sure. Okay. So continue to pray for him, Brother Ron, and um, for God to give uh, strength there and certainly to ease the discomfort. And um, I was, I was uh, listening to a fellow preach this week, and he brought up something that I think is, is a good thing for us to, to pray about when we go through times where uh, there's physical illness or, or pain involved. And uh, that is it's okay to pray for God to... to uh, take that pain away and to heal. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But he said, why is it that we don't ask for God to be glorified through it? I thought, boy, you know, that ought to be the prayer of our hearts, regardless of healing or not healing. That, that's in God's sovereign hands. That's in His choice to do. We can certainly pray for it, but we need to leave that to Him. What we really need to be concerned with in these times is that God be glorified through them. And it's amazing to me to see. I, I was uh, I was amazed. I, I went and after I heard that message, I uh, remembered sitting in the Sword of the Lord conference when Dr. Curtis Hudson was his last one, and he got up and sang, I'm on the winning side. And they had to get him up there at the pulpit. And I sat there and I watched that video and just wept through it. I thought, here's a man who through suffering and pain, was able to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe God was glorified through that illness. God didn't choose to heal Brother Hudson, and uh, but he did certainly get glory through it. And I think it ought to be something we ought to pray for. And I, Maybe in Ron's case, I don't know. Maybe that's the, the better way to pray uh, at this point, certainly for his healing, certainly for comfort, but ultimately that God would be glorified through it. And... Uh, God can get glory through it, and we praise the Lord for that. All right. Uh, anybody else? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 All right. So pray for Fran and uh, and for Michael and Ruth. So okay. All right. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Right here, Miss Miss Cat. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I saw that this afternoon. So pray for Brother Harold Hurchin. 
I didn't hear the last. Okay, right, right. Okay. Okay, all right. Any other unspokens tonight? Eight, okay. Eight? All right, any others? Brother Wayne? Okay. Okay. So feeling a little better? Good, good. All righty. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Right, okay. All right, so continue to pray for Caleb Owens. All right. Anyone else? Is that it? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for uh, the ability to come and pray and know that you have us, give us the, uh, the great privilege to come to you in prayer, to know that you hear us, that you answer our prayers. And Lord, we do ask tonight that you would be glorified. There are our burdens and there are needs. Lord, you never promised that you would take those burdens away. You never promised that we would always be healed from the things that, uh, that affect our bodies. But you've always promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. You've always promised that you would be with us through those valleys and that we are to be faithful during those, that we are to be able to glorify you through them. And so I pray that you would give grace and give strength to those that are battling uh, these physical things. And Lord, some of them very, very painful, very serious, and things that uh, uh, long recovery times. And Lord, we don't understand all of your purposes, nor do we try to. And I pray that you would help us to simply trust that you have all of it in control and that it will all be for your glory and it will all work out within your plan. And I pray that you would help us to rejoice in that, to be able to have join our hearts that your will is being done, and even through the tears that you would give great grace and comfort. And so, Father, help in these areas. We do pray for those that have unspoken requests tonight, and while they've not been given specifically, I pray that you would uh, touch each of the, the issues and within your uh, divine plan and your divine will would have your will and way, and once again that it could bring glory to you. We pray for um, Fran and uh, Brother Bob Schwabert. We pray for Brother Everett tonight. And, uh, Brother Ron, and Lord, so many folks that just need your hand. We think of Caleb tonight especially, and so many that need uh, a healing hand and easing of the pain and the discomfort. And we ask that you would be gracious in those areas and, and allow those things to be. And then, uh, Father, for uh, uh, Michael and Ruth, as they prepare to go back to Brazil, that you would uh, allow everything to fall into place. And, Lord, we believe firmly that uh, when you call somebody somewhere that you make a way. Lord, it's not that we won't have trials along the way, for those sometimes are what you use to strengthen us and to build our faith and our trust in you. But Lord, through them, I pray that you would give them the strength to overcome those obstacles and that your will would be done and that they would be able to get back there in a timely manner. We do pray that you'll bless the lesson tonight in the preaching. And Lord, guide the thoughts in my heart tonight. You know the direction we're going and how much I'm in need of you tonight to help. And I pray that you would bless and, uh, Lord, help us to uh, learn from your word those things that you would have us to learn. And uh, may we hold fast to 
the faith that we've been taught from your word, the doctrine of your word, and that we would not be soon swayed. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a graciousness and a kindness, but yet, Lord, a boldness and a steadfastness, that we can always be tempered with your grace, but that we would always be a shining light and a salt to this world. I pray that you would help us to be bold in our uh, proclamation of these truths and uh, that you would allow uh, your, your word <coughs> to go forth with might and with power, that it will do its effective works in our hearts and the hearts of those that will listen to uh, the service by way of live stream. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to try to get all this done tonight. Uh, without my uh, producer back there in the back to help me with it. Hopefully we'll get it all done. We've got a lot of technology up here. So we're going to do the best we can. But let's take our Bibles, if you will. Turn to Mark. Uh, let's go to Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter number 12. And uh, we're going to start here. And I, this is a passage that I want to start with tonight. And uh, then we will also be dealing with this um, in, a, in another lesson, I'm not sure if it'll be next Wednesday night or not. The further we're getting into this, the more I'm trying to compartmentalize um, different sections of these lessons so that we can basically cover one a week. And the problem is, as we're doing that, it's turning into more weeks. And so at this point, we're at about four weeks yet from tonight. Um, and uh, as, as we try to deal with some things, there are certain things that we will certainly be dealing with at this point. We're going to be dealing with uh, the issue of speaking in tongues, that's a big thing in today's world, in today's society. We're going to look at uh, the Bible and what it has to say about that. Uh, we're going to look at the healing ministries of uh, some of these folks that are out there. We're going to be looking, and this is a very difficult and a very sensitive topic, especially in the day that we live in today, but we're going to be looking at the issue of women preachers and what does the Bible have to say about it. And again, we're not going to be mean-spirited. We're just simply going to present what God has said about it. And uh, I want you to be praying that God will uh, enable as we prepare those things that they will be prepared in a way that we can follow the teaching of it and we can understand it clearly. Uh, we want to make sure that it's not something that uh, brings confusion to the issue or to the matter. We want to be very clear on it from God's Word and also that God will give grace through it. Uh, all of these topics are things that uh, if we do not handle them uh, firmly and boldly, then they will continue to abound in our ministries. But yet if we do it without grace, they will bounce off of a hardened heart and not take their effect. And so pray that God will do that. And then also that God's Holy Spirit will work in hearts through this. Um, it, it doesn't matter a whole lot what, what I can say as a pastor or as a teacher uh, of God's Word. If God doesn't do something on the inside of the heart, and I'm thankful that His Word is quick and powerful and that it can pierce to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, I'm thankful for that. But it needs also to be aided with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I would ask, if you would, over the next several weeks that you be praying throughout the week uh, as we prepare these lessons that God will enable those and help those to uh, be a help to not only us, but others that will hear them uh, by way of uh, the, the online stream. Uh, look in Mark chapter number 12 with me, if you will. And um, we're going to uh, back up in um, 
verse number 38. I want to start in verse number 38. And I want to deal with an issue tonight that uh, um, I just we're going to use this to launch into it. Uh, we're going to be looking at some more doctrines. If you'll remember last Wednesday night, we dealt with the uh, doctrine of the Word of Faith group, uh, what they call positive confession. In other words, uh, they believe that their words are containers of, of tangible faith, literal faith, um, that bring physical things into being. If you speak wealth, you'll get wealth. If you speak health, you'll get health. If you speak uh, prosperity, you get prosperity. And uh, we dealt with that and looked at how the, that God does not promise us that in Scripture. Um, I'm thankful that when God um, had His plan of atonement and He died on Calvary, that He did make provision for our healing. Uh, but He doesn't promise that we'll get it on this side of heaven. But we do know that at one point we're going to have uh, perfect health and we're not going to uh, have uh, sickness, and yet it's not promised to us on this side of heaven, is it? Uh, I'm thankful one day we're going to have a glorified body. I'm going to have hair. And, man, I'm excited about that. I'm going to be skinny and have low blood pressure. Well, I won't, have, you know, won't even have blood pressure probably. Uh, but uh, we're going to get a glorified body. And I'm thankful that that was taken care of with the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not promised to us on this side of heaven. It's promised to us later on. And uh, so we've got to understand some of these things as we get into this. So we're going to look at some more doctrines that they have tonight. And specifically, we're going to deal uh, with the doctrine of the little gods. And uh, there are several other doctrines that support that doctrine. And so we're going to look at about three or four doctrines tonight, Lord willing. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 38, Mark chapter um, 12. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace, and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Uh, he's, he's warning people of religious leaders that are corrupt, that their, their focus, their goal is to live extravagant lives. They, they want the long robes, it says here in verse number 38, the long clothing. They love salutations in the marketplace. Uh, they want the chief seats in the synagogue. They want the uppermost rooms at the feet. They want to live the lavish lifestyle, if you would. I'm, I'm thankful that when we study Scripture, uh, God, God instructed the disciples, the apostles specifically. He said He gave them some power to do some things here on earth as apostles. But he said, you have freely received. I want you to go and I want you to freely give. In other words, you're not supposed to charge for these things. Uh, this isn't to make you wealthy. This isn't for you to live uh, a life of extravagance because you have been given these gifts that, that, that God gave to the apostles. And yet these scribes were such that they were using their religious leadership and the position of influence that they had to... Uh, benefit their lifestyle. Now, notice what it says here in verse number 40. It says, which devour, what's the next word here? Next two words, widows' houses. Okay, so keep that in mind because in understanding Scripture, context is, is of utmost importance. So we need to understand the context of what Jesus is speaking about here as he says, uh, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor, what's the next word here? Widow. And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. 
And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more, <laughs> more in <coughs> than, they all, uh, than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in their abundance, but she of her want did cast in, what's the next word? Next three words, or four words. All that she had, even what? All her living. Now, I've heard messages preached on the widow's might. I'm not criticizing those messages. There certainly is a principle taught here of um, when we give to God, it's not about how much, but about how much sacrifice. And I understand that principle. But I think sometimes we miss the context of that whole passage. We don't find the Lord Jesus Christ commending this lady for what she did. This isn't some noble act of spirituality that she did. If you look at the context, he condemns the scribes for devouring widows' houses. In other words, they were going around and they were, they were convincing widows to give to the synagogue. And she's giving to the synagogue, this corrupt religious organization at the time. This isn't the New Testament church that she's giving to. This isn't the pure body of believers. This is, this is a corrupt uh, religious organization. And the Bible says that he, she gave all that she had and all of her what? living. The Bible doesn't tell us anything further than that. We don't know anything. Now, we can suppose things. We can read things into this. But that's not what... The Bible doesn't talk about anything further. He does not commend her and say, boy, she was so much more spiritual. But notice this, that in the day that they lived, the widows had no way of earning a living other than the price that they... the, the money that they had left over from their husbands... And the families had to take care of the widows. The, the sons that were left over were supposed to take the widows into their homes. Later on in the New Testament church, the Lord gives the care of the widows and the fatherless to who? The church to care for them. But at this point, this lady has no living. She has no place to go. We're finding here that this is very, very similar to what takes place a lot in today's quote-unquote, Word of Faith Ministries, where they come out and they say, we want you, if you're a widow out there, there's some widow lady out there living on a fixed income, and you're wondering how in the world you're going to do it, you need to sow a seed of faith. And they're preying on the widows to devour their houses. And God is not in that at all. He sits back and he looks at this thing. He called his disciples over. He said, this widow gave all she had. She gave all of her living. And that's all he said. He doesn't commend her for it. He doesn't say, you need to go and do likewise. She did this because she had been instructed by corrupt religious leaders. The Bible calls them this, wolves in sheep's clothing. This is the kind of group that deal with these doctrines. I want to be very gracious in this, but when the Bible speaks of these things, it doesn't speak highly of them. In fact, it, it condemns them. It says these things ought not be so. Verse number uh, 38, I want you to notice he says, And he said unto them in his doctrine, what's this next word here, the big capital B? Beware. There's a group of religious leaders that are going to prey on the widows. Beware. 
There's a group of religious leaders that are only involved in that religious sect for no other reason than to gain wealth and prosperity. And Jesus doesn't say, that's what I want, go join their churches. What does He say? He says, beware, doesn't He? Beware. So I want us to look at some things here. We're going to be dealing a little bit more with that particular thing in, in a couple, in probably either next week or the week after. And we're going to be looking at the sowing of seed, uh, what they always refer to as money. Um, and we're going to look a lot more into that particular doctrine that they hold to. But I want to suffice to say this, that those types of teachers are ones we need to be warned of. They're the ones we need to be saying, okay, we need to be aware of those. So the whole purpose of what we've been doing the last few weeks is to try to tell our people and make sure we're knowing this, that we are to beware of these things, but also so that if we know of other people that are our friends or our neighbors, we can very graciously and kindly go to them and say, we need to beware of these things. Let's see what the Scripture has to say about this. And hopefully it will be a help to you. So we're going to deal here now with the doctrine of um, the little gods. Now, again, we've talked about this from the get-go, that uh, to a large degree, the foundation of where this movement started back in the 1800s all the way to present day has primarily focused without saying it, well, and, and I say can't, I can't say without saying it, because they actually do say it, but they, they say it in such a way you don't realize what they're doing. They are taking God and they are moving Him down to man's position and making Him subject to man, and they are taking man and moving Him into the place of God. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. I'm going to play a clip for you here. Uh, this is my uh, Creflo dollar, and if I can make this thing work, we'll see if it'll go. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now that's interesting because if everything produces after its own kind, we now see God producing man. And if God now produces man, and everything produces after its own kind, if horses get together, they produce what? And if dogs get together, they produce what? If cats get together, they produce what? But if the Godhead gets together and say, let us make man, then what are they producing? They're producing gods. Now, i got to hit this thing real hard in the very beginning because I ain't got time to go through all this. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are gods, little g. You are gods because you came from God. And you are God. You're not just human. The only human part about you is this physical body that you live in. The real me is just like God. So, I don't know if y'all, I, I guess blasphemy would be probably the best word to use for that. You notice, and I just want to make a mention of this. He says, I don't have time to deal with this, so y'all going to have to catch it. If a preacher says, I don't have time, I understand saying we're, we're short on time, we'll get to it next week, 
And I've been encouraged recently. A few times I've tried to rush through. People have said, Pastor, don't rush through it. Pause it and come back the next week. I'm glad to do that. But a preacher that usually does that, unless he really is long-winded, is usually because he doesn't have anything else to say about it. He doesn't have Scripture for it. Uh, there are several things that uh, these fellows will, will say with regards to the whole little God's um, doctrine. He, he makes the comment that when the Godhead gets together, that they produce gods. Well, the truth is they produced the horses too, didn't they? And they produced the dogs and the cat. They produced all of it. When it says that when God said, let us make man in our image, he was making man the pinnacle of his creation with the potential to have a personal relationship with him. That's what it means by in his image. There's nothing else that God created that has the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God. Brother Harold likes dogs. There's not a dog living that can have a relationship with God. There's not a horse that can have a relationship with God. Only man, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by His grace, can have a relationship with God. When it talks about man being in God's image, it's not speaking of us being little gods. You're going to find that there's a secondary doctrine that we're going to look at here in just a moment. And you'll understand why they have to say this in order to accomplish this to be true. They have to state another doctrine we're going to look at here in just a moment. But I want you to understand this, uh, that there is only one God according to Scripture. Let's take our Bibles. If you got them handy, I'm going to give you a lot of verses here real quick. And uh, I don't have time, so let's... <laughs> we're going to take the time, okay? We are. We're going to look at this because you don't need to take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible says, all right? Uh, Exodus chapter 20, very familiar passage of Scripture, and verse number 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There is not to be any other gods that are before God. Now notice here in Second Samuel, and again, taking all of these verses together, looking at the, the context of what the Scripture is stating throughout its entirety. Look at Second Samuel, chapter number 22, and verse number 32. Uh, let's back up in verse number 31. As for God, His way is perfect. Amen. We can stop there and that would be a good one. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in Him. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? There's only one God. Who is God save the Lord? There's only one true God. There have been kings throughout history that have tried to make mention that there are more than one God. They've actually worshipped them in their kingdoms. And you hear of them in the book of Daniel, don't you? Daniel thrown in the lion's den. Darius comes back and he says, this is the one true God, the only God, the everlasting God. Nebuchadnezzar, when he was uh, in chapter number 4 of Daniel, when he was uh, humiliated and had to walk as an animal upon the earth for seven years, when he finally got his senses back, he said, He is the only God of heaven. I will extol Him because there's only one God. Look in Isaiah chapter number 44. Isaiah chapter number 44. And again, I, I will say this. One of two things has to happen for a preacher like Creflo Dollar, <clears throat> to make a statement like that. Either he does not read his Bible, or he has read it 
and is willingly deceiving people for monetary gain. I don't want to make the judgment on that. I'll leave that up to God and your own discernment of your own heart and conscience. I have my thought on it. But either he is not reading Scripture or he is being deceitful on purpose. Look in verse number 8 of uh, Isaiah chapter 44. <coughs> Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it. Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is what? No God. I know not any. There is no God beside God. Look in Psalm chapter 50, the 50th Psalm. And verse number 1, <clears throat> Psalm 50 and verse number 1, the mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun until the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. There's nobody that fits that description other than God. Look in Romans chapter number 16. Romans chapter number 16 and verse number 27. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. To God only wise. There's only one God. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 6. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse number 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Only one God. There's not God and then a bunch of little gods floating around. By the way, if you remember back when we studied the Mormons, that's their appeal, that they will achieve Godhead. There's a progressive deityization of, of man as they go through their life, they progressively get higher and higher in their elevation toward godhood. And, and by the way, wasn't the first original rebellion against God that, they wanted, that, he, that Lucifer wanted to be like God? Why would we preach the gospel to people that they need to desire to be like God? That they need to be little gods? I think we ought to be like Him in example and in testimony, but we are not God. We are so far removed from God, it's, it, it couldn't even be stated with, with the vocabulary that we have. Look with me in Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 6. <clears throat> Let's back up. There is one body, verse number 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as we are called in one uh, hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Only one God. Again, are, are we starting to see a pattern develop in Scripture about this? It has to be that he cannot either read his Bible or is willingly being deceitful about it. And he's not the only one that teaches this. We're going to see some more here in just a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 17. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 17. Now unto 
the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. The is the definite article. It, it's, it's specifying just one, one person in this place, and one God in this thing. Now, unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, to be, uh, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. James chapter number, oh, let's go to First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Look with me in the book of James chapter number 2. James chapter number 2 and verse number 19. <clears throat> James chapter 2 and verse number 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Even the devils know that there's only one God. They, they, don't, they don't bow to any other God than the God of heaven. There's only one God. For the first sin of Satan to be, to be as God, he wanted to be as God, equal to him, caused him and a third of the angels to be cast out of heaven. And you could say literally that this doctrine is a doctrine of devils because that's really what it is. And yet it's what is taught from the pulpits of that church. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but as he's going through this, his congregation of thousands are in agreement with it. Oh, yes, yes, I am a God because God is the one who made me. And they deify themselves. In order for them to be able to support that doctrine, then they have a certain belief about the fall of man. So we're going to look at this very quickly. I'm just going to give them to you. And then we're going to uh, uh, make a comment or two about it and move on to the next doctrine. But in order for them to support this doctrine of little gods, this is what they teach from their pulpits. <clears throat> they believe that Adam, when he was originally created before the fall, was a deity... Uh, they believe that he was a carbon copy, an exact duplicate of God. And that when the fall came, that Adam sinned, he'd lost that godhood. Now, there's a problem with that teaching. If, if Adam is the carbon copy duplicate of God, then if Adam falls, then that means that God is capable of sinning. My friend, God is not capable of sinning. He is absolute holiness personified. If Adam was a deity made and cloned exactly like God, he would have never fallen. Now notice this. He, they make him, uh, Adam uh, as a deity, when he sins, he loses his Godhead and transfers this, this deity, deity uh, deification, if you will, of Adam, this, this deity that Adam loses is now transferred to Satan, who becomes the God or the, uh, the legal owner of the earth. And they teach this, that, that Satan is the God of this world and that he is the legal owner to it. Can I tell you this? The Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and all that in there is. He has not lost legal ownership of this earth. I do know that the Bible says that the Satan is the prince of the power of the air, that he roams around the earth at will doing his work, but he only does that by God's permission. 
not because he has authority over God in this earth. Amen. God does not let anything happen in this earth that he does not will to happen, or he does not allow man to have their own sinful way and pay the results of it. Satan does not control God on this earth. If that was the case, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, Satan would have defeated the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get saved, they believe that you regain your deity. This is how they can say you're little gods. If you're saved, you've trusted Christ, you're little gods. You reinstate back to what God had Adam originally created as. So the reason that they, they teach health and wealth is because it's not good for a God to be poor. And it's not good for a God to be sick. Therefore, if you are little gods, if you have deity about you after you're saved, then you, by, by very virtue of the fact that you are gods, you have to be healthy and you have to be rich. Or you can't be a god then there's something wrong in your deity, apparently. So they make this allure of health and wealth, which makes it very appealing to people. And here's the, here's the assumption that is made. They assume that because we are deified, because we used to be uh, like God, that that created some inherent value in us in our fallen state where God felt like, I've got to get them redeemed because they are so valuable to me. I'm thankful that I'm valuable to God, but not because I'm worth it. It's not because of how great I am. It's because of how great He is. It's because of how great He loved us. Um, To be able to state something like this, and they do often, they negate grace. They, They cause grace to not even be in existence. For grace is unmerited favor, isn't it? We don't deserve what we've gotten. And yet when they say Adam was a deity, he was like God, and therefore God looked down at fallen man and said, Boy, I better restore them back. I better redeem them. I've got to do it. And even if, and one, one fellow said it this way, a fellow's name is Todd White. He said it this way. He said, God bankrupted heaven to redeem me. Because I was that valuable to Him. Where's the grace in that? If I was that valuable to God, then He redeemed me because I was of value to Him. Not because of His grace. And yet the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. I'm thankful. I, I, I don't want to get, give you the wrong idea. From a human perspective, we have value. There are things that we can contribute to our, our families, to our kids. I think there's some value to be said for the leadership that we can do. And especially once we get saved, we have value to reach people with the gospel. But understand this. God does not look down and say, oh boy, uh, Greg, is, I'll really be missing out on a lot if I don't have Greg because he's so valuable to me. 
I'm thankful he looks down and by his grace, in spite of me, he says, I'm going to use him to accomplish my work. And he gives me his love and he gives me his grace. But it's not because I'm a God that he is, that I'm of some inherent value to him. So this is part of their doctrine of the little gods. The other thing they have to do in order to keep the little gods thing um, uh, going, because they believe that when we get saved that we become, we, we become a god again. We are little gods and uh, we have deity again. As a, as a side product of that, they have to soften their preaching against sin because gods aren't supposed to sin. And so they try to make sin kind of just go away. They brush it under the table. They don't talk about it a lot. So they soften uh, sin. Uh, let me see if I can play another clip here for you while I'm doing this. And let's see if I can get this one to go. Oh, come on over. There we and go. I'm going to come back in a few moments and talk about, you know, just what turned it for you. What, what paradigm shift happened to you that released you? To do this, but you're getting the same kind of response, aren't you? People yes. need and and want. You know the word repentance, uh, like Joel said, is from the Greek word metanoia, which literally means change your mind. And uh, every time, like Joel or, or me preaching the word, without using the word repentance, sometimes, but people's minds are being changed all the time, from thinking this way negatively to thinking positively, from depression to having a positive expectation of good. You know, repentance is going on all the time in Joel's church, in my church, and hopefully in your church as well. So that's their perspective of repentance, is changing the mind. Now, part of the definition of repentance is changing the mind. He's right on that part of it. But then he goes and he, he, he washes the whole thing out, doesn't he? Because then he says, so if you change your mind from negative thinking to positive thinking, that's repentance. If you, you know, in that case, you could go out and join, you know, the, the, the club of uh, positive thinkers out here, and you could say to be said to have repented. And so their their take on this is they don't want to they want they don't want to deal with sin, they don't want to deal with repentance of sin. And the truth is, we know that we are to repent of our sin. When it comes to a changing of the mind, it's not a changing of the mind in how our attitude is uh, about whether or not I'm going to have a good hair day today or not. Or is my work day going to go good? Am I going to be happy today or am I going to be sad today? That is not the repentance the Bible speaks of. The repentance the Bible speaks of is in terms of how we view our sin. Now, let's take a look at some of these things. Uh, turn, turn with me, if you will, to Second Chronicles, probably one of the greatest descriptions or patterns of repentance, I think, given in Scripture is found in Second Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse number 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall think positively. <laughs> Is that what it says? No, no, no. If my people, which are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their, not negative thoughts, turn from their what? Wicked ways. That's repentance, my friend. That is what the Bible speaks of when it talks repentance. Not, do I think well of myself today or not. Great definition, horrible application. When it comes to Scripture, the repentance that the Bible speaks of is dealing with 
the wickedness of our sin. Look with me in 1 John chapter number 1. And by the way, I'm thankful the Bible doesn't just give us one little, little small verse on this. It, it talks about it quite a bit. Turn with me, if you will, 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 9. The Bible says this, If we confess our negative attitude, is that what it says? If we confess our what? Our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. Are, are we understanding what repentance deals with in Scripture? They have no concept of it. I'm going to tell you two things are possible. Number one, they're not reading their Bible. Or number two, they are willingly deceiving people to steal widows' houses. They're doing one or the other because they're not finding it in this book. Look with me, if you will, in Luke chapter number 5. And, and, and folks... I, it's getting to the place where the largest group of people that are migrating from their belief system to the Word of Faith ministries are coming out of the pews of Baptist churches. And it's sad because our people just don't know. They don't know the Scriptures or they don't understand where this doctrine is coming from. And folks, it is important that we are grounded in God's Word. That we are not swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes along. It's tempting, isn't it, to be promised health and wealth if we just simply go and sow our seed. It's tempting to look at their ministries and say, boy, they have huge, huge crowds. They have huge facilities. They have money, glory. They're, they're, God's hand of blessing must be upon them. No, those are the group of people that Jesus said... In the book of Mark, we're to beware of. In fact, if I look at the apostles, I don't remember any of them being wealthy, do you? In fact, I, I don't, really, I don't remember too many of them dying of natural causes. Do you? I think they were being persecuted. They were being beaten, weren't they? They were being ridiculed. They weren't being lauded as gods. Luke chapter 5, verse number 32. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. To what? To what? Repentance. Not negative thinkers to repentance. Not people who are depressed with their life to repentance. He came to call sinners to repentance. Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And by the way, I'm giving you a lot of verses because I hope you're writing them down or we'll go back and listen and write them down later so you'll have them. But there are vastly more verses of Scripture in Scripture about this than just the few that I'll give you here tonight. It is not something difficult to find the doctrine of repentance in Scripture. Acts chapter number 26 and verse number 20. The Bible says, But showed first unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance. In other words, they needed to turn from their sin. 
there needed to be a turning toward righteousness. Matthew chapter number 3. Matthew chapter number 3, verse number 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance, suitable. In response to, meat for repentance. So we find that they teach this, this doctrine of the little gods, and as a doctrine of the little gods, they have to say that man in his fallen state is so valuable to God that God couldn't do anything other than redeem them because without them God would just be lost he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to succeed as his godliness godhead and and he has to have man and so when he saves man he makes him a god again he brings back his deity and in order to be a deity you cannot be sick you cannot be poor and we're going to minimize the sin that we still have because a God's not supposed to sin, is it? We all know that we're nothing more than sinners that are saved by the grace of God. And while we have the new nature in us, until we get to heaven, we're still going to sin. There is a difference, by the way, when we get saved, that sin no longer reigns in our mortal bodies. Now it's, now it's under subjection. Now when sin happens, we feel bad about it. It's something that we grieve over. We don't, we, don't, we don't flounder in it and say, boy, we love this. We're not enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. We sin, we grieve over that because we've hurt God's heart. Because the Holy Spirit of God has brought conviction to us. And then they limit God. In order for us to be gods just like God, because we're not all powerful in this life, the next thing they do is they limit God and they bring God down to man's level and they make him subject to God. I'm going to talk to you, just give you a few verses on this one real quick. But let me play this next clip here for you. The only creature that God gave authority in the earth legally to is a spirit in a dirt body. That means any spirit without a body is... Let me re redo that one real quick. Illegal on planet Earth. That's not going to play. But here's the bigger statement. You can listen to it. Though. Even God Himself is illegal on Earth. Why? Because He is a spirit. And the law He set up by His own mouth was that only spirits with bodies can function on Earth legally. That's why God could not interfere when Adam and Eve was, you know, kind of deliberating on the food environment there in the book of Genesis. I mean, it, it bothered me. I'm sure it bothered you for years as a pastor. Uh, if God is so mighty, powerful, awesome, omnipotent, omniscient, why couldn't this mighty God who made 500 million planets and galaxies could not stop a skinny little woman from picking a fruit to destroy his whole program? I mean, come on, God. Aren't you powerful? You can intervene. You can destroy the works of the devil, prevent the woman, and save humanity. But he couldn't. Not that he didn't. He couldn't. Pastor, we get the mind of God about his will, we pray it. When we pray it, we give him legal right to perform it. Yes. Let me define prayer for you in this show. Prayer is man giving God permission or license to interfere we'll in earth's affairs. In other words, prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. That's incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. God 
God could do nothing on earth, nothing has God ever done on earth without a human giving him access. So he's always looking for that somebody. Always looking for a human to give him power, permission. In other words, God has the power, but you get the permission. God got the authority and the power, but you got the license. So even though God could do anything, he can only do what you permit him to do. So, again, when I speak of these things, I, I, want, you, I want you to hear them because... I think sometimes some of the things I'll mention about this sound almost too far-fetched to even believe. But this is what they teach. And you've listened to two, over two minutes of that clip. We weren't taking anything out of context of what they were saying. They're saying that God is subject to man on this earth. But again, that comes all the way back to their doctrine of the little gods. We are just like God. And that is blasphemy. I, I would say this, and I'm going to say it carefully. It would be hard for me to believe that a person that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God can say such things on a regular basis and God not put him on his knees. Personally, I don't think they're saved. I'm not one to judge that. God is. But, folks, I don't know how they can speak such things and be saved. I really don't. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verse number 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Whatsoever He hath pleased. Look with me, if you will, Psalm 135, verse number 6. Psalm 135, verse number 6. I've got one last clip to play for you and we'll be done quickly here. Whatsoever the Lord pleaseth, that did He in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all deep places. Can I tell you this? God is not subject to you and I. He is not bound. And it wasn't that they said God wouldn't interfere. What He said was God... In fact, He went so far as to explain that specifically. He said God couldn't do it. It was impossible for God to do it. Can I tell you, God can do whatsoever He pleases. If God wanted to destroy this earth by fire, all He's got to do is say the word, and it'll happen. And by the way, according to Revelation, one day it will. I'm going to play one last clip for you. And uh, this is of Jesse DePlantis. I think my video has frozen up, so you'll just probably have to listen to it. But uh, I think you can hear it good enough quality. Open conversations with each other. I've done that with the Lord. I've had the Lord say, uh, Jesse, I've had God come tell me, say, this is what I'm going to do. I've had the Lord say, what do you think about this? God has asked me for my opinion. I said, well, Lord, since you asked, uh, maybe I'm doing it. He said, no, we can talk frankly. What do you think? I said, well, I don't think you ought to do that. 
He said, why you don't think I ought to do that? I said, well, you know, I know you know people more than I do, but you know, Lord, if you just let me, let me do a little bit more work on this individual, I think we can get them to you. He says, okay, go ahead. Do what you have to do. Do what you have to do. Isaiah chapter number 40, beginning in verse number 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God standeth forever. O Zion, thou bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. And his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them to his bosom, in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales? And the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Not Jesse. And folks, I'm not trying to be mean. But I'm trying to make certain that we understand that when we look at some of these folks that we'll find on the television screen and we see the, the, the magnitude of their ministries, we see what seemingly from man's perspective to be the hand of God working, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are not teaching the gospel of this book. They are doctrinally in error. They can write best-selling books. We have, we've discussed some women, we've discussed some men, and we'll be looking at more of them as the weeks go by. Can I tell you this? Be careful. And as your pastor, I would say this. I don't own any one of their books. I'll say this. I have not read any one of their books. I'm not going to tell you that there may not come a time where I will peruse some of their pages to find out what they're teaching so I can warn about it. But I am certainly not reading any, and I have not done that yet. But if I do, that would be the only reason. I certainly would not be going to it for my theology. I would not be getting a book and saying, boy, it's got some really good devotional thoughts in it. I'll just hold my King James Bible next to it. Folks, the theology is bad. And I need to be careful that we warn our church of this, that we understand these things. And then, as we come across folks that are involved in this who do not understand and do not know, it will help us to better understand what they're going through 
what they're believing in, what they're holding to, so that we may be able to be a more effective witness to them about what the Bible says. And we need to pray that God give us grace in doing so. That as we deal with people, we can go boldly to God's Word with confidence and say we can confidently show you that this doctrine is not according to God's Word. And so I hope these lessons will be a help to you. So we've dealt now with the doctrine of uh, positive confession. We've dealt with the doctrine of the little gods. Uh, with, along with the doctrine of the little gods, we have the doctrine of the fall of man, which is very, vastly misconstrued. We've dealt with the softening of sin that they do. We've dealt with the limiting of God and putting him subservient to man. And all of that falls under the doctrine of the little gods. Now, Lord willing, uh, in the next couple weeks we'll be dealing with, as we mentioned before, uh, the speaking in tongues, uh, the apostolic gifts that uh, the Bible speaks of. We'll be dealing with um, uh, healing, faith healing, and we'll be dealing with uh, women preachers according to Scripture. So pray with us for the next several weeks as God directs that and as we work on that uh, for God's guidance in it. Again, we want, to be, we want to be clear from Scripture. We want to make sure that we're finding out what does God's Word say. Because uh, I can be frustrated with it and I can be upset at it and get up here and spit and holler at you about it. But it really doesn't matter what I think. But it vastly matters what the Bible says. And so we want to make sure of that. All right, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Dismiss us now with your blessings. Give us safety as we go our way. And may we not sw uh, quickly or soon forget uh, the things that we have learned here. And may we be praying for these folks. Uh, may we look for opportunities to uh, share with others that we know that are involved in these kinds of things and the teachings of them. And may we be able to take your word and be workmen that need not be ashamed, that we can take your word skillfully and be able to show them from your word how these things are not so, and then to show them what the word of God does say. I pray that you would help us uh, to rightly divide your word, to rightly understand it and know it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. Dismissed.